Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, we're gonna, uh, we've, been, we've been looking at the whole idea of uh, the summer series, and today what I, I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit. It's going to be a little bit disjointed this morning, sorry for that, but um, with the plans for the missions and the kids and all, I didn't take that into consideration when I was prepping, so um, what I'm going to do, I have three points, I'm going to do two of them this morning and one tonight, so apologies, I hope you can make it back tonight because I'm um, at cliffhangers tonight. So it was kind of weird, the first service. I didn't plan this, and so when I got up to speak in the first service, the sort of idea came to me. I, I got up and I looked at the clock, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to land this this morning. And I, I said, guys, what about doing... Uh, yeah, so there we go. So I want to talk to you about God's mixing bowl. Um, you probably know what this is, a mixing bowl. It's a very interesting thing. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, all right? So if you want to turn in your Bible to John 1, um, John 1. We're going to read a few verses from uh, the the first chapter, and then we're going to read a few verses from the uh, 17th chapter, and I'm going to try and put it all into this bowl and and make sense of it, and try and present to you what John's trying to do in his gospel. And we're going to be doing this for the next eight weeks. We're going to go through the gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then the apostle John introduces us to another John, John the Baptist. He said there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. That's pretty clear. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own greatest moment. His own people did not receive him, greatest mistake. But all who did receive him, the greatest miracle, who believed in his name, the greatest move, he gave the right to become the children of God, the greatest membership. There's a sermon for you right there. Five greatest things, all right? who were born uh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me, but ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Then a couple of verses, just um, verse 29, same chapter. Um, The next day, uh, John, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he shouted out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might 
be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained in him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He in whom you see the Spirit descend, this was the sign, and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. A couple of verses in John 17, yeah, chapter 17. I'd love to read the whole chapter, but I haven't time to do that. But um, this is the Lord's Prayer, all right? The, the Lord's Prayer, as you would know it in Luke 11 and places like that, is the pattern prayer, all right? It, it was the, when you pray, remember the disciples said, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. And the, you know, you know the, the Lord's Prayer as we know it, but it was a pattern. It was, he was giving us a pattern to pray. This is the act of Lord's Prayer. The whole chapter is the Lord's Prayer before he would go to the cross, right? So verse 20, I do not ask, this is Jesus, I do not ask for these only, he's talking to the Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, um, that they may all be one just as you and I, Father, and me, and I and you, that they also may be in us, and that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you loved me. It's a very powerful passage of Scripture um, uh, John 17 and, um, and John 1. And so I'm going to try and mix them together and tell you a little bit about them. The year was 1922. The city was Minneapolis. The date was the 26th of November. And uh, a young couple who loved one another had a little son. And they called him Charles. He would be their only son. He would be their only child. They called him Charles. They, they knew from an early age that there was something different about this boy. He was quite skilled he would take a piece of paper and he would take a pen from his earliest age and he would draw little figures and they would be almost lifelike. He would draw his family dog and they would look at the dog and say, wow, that is an amazing bit of drawing. The young boy would grow up and he would hone his special skill and he would become known as one of the probably the most, one of the most exceptional cartoonists that we have ever had. His name was Charles Schultz. And you'll maybe not recognize the name, but you'll recognize the creator of Snoopy and Charlie Brown and Peanuts, where we have Linus and Lucy and those uh, characters that he gave us, Charles Schultz gave us for probably well over 50 years. And in one of the little um, cartoons, uh, Linus, who's always a bit bullied by Lucy, Lucy's the Targe, and um, Linus is watching TV. And um, he's watching TV, and Lucy comes, and he takes, she takes the remote, and she changes the channel. And Linus sort of thinks it's about time he would stick up to Lucy, and he says, Lucy, what gives you the right to do that? Give me a reason why you would do that. And Lucy stares Linus in the face, and she goes, I'll give you five reasons. One, two, three, four, five. And um, Linus sort of goes, well, that's a pretty good reason. And, and Lucy says this, she says, separate they don't make up too much, but when they come together, they make a formidable foe. 
And Linus walks away a bit defeated, looks into his hand and goes, why can't you come together like that? Whenever we read the book of John, John is all about oneness. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. That just means they're similar in their story. They're just, they're, they're changed by character and personality, but they tell the similar story. But in John's gospel is a standalone gospel. And in John's gospel, we see unity. We see relationship with the Father. We see relationship with the Son. We see relationship with the Holy Spirit. We see the unity of the church coming together. It's the truth when Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you come together. When we're separate, we're not that strong. But when we come together, something happens. There's unity. And so in John 17, we see the cry of Jesus for us all to be one, just like he and the Father are one. And we know the enemy's greatest tactic is to try and divide the church. He will try and divide the church by politics, by religion. He will try and divide us by race. He will try and divide us by gender. He will try and divide us by economic class. The enemy's greatest tactic is to separate the, the clenched fists, is to get us um, individualized in some shape or form. And when we get together, something happens. Our oneness points to the one. Our oneness points to the real one, and it sends a message to the world. It sends a message to the lost and the broken. When Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you clench your fist, <laughs> that you love one another, that you stay together, that you don't go in your own little pathways, but you actually come together And so there's something about this. And Jesus is praying this prayer. He said, Father, I want them to be one like you and I are one. Help them to live out what you and I have. Help them to to experiment with what uh, you and I live in. Their oneness has has a dynamic to it. The beauty of this eternal dance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who are so intertwined. And Jesus is saying, Father, why don't we invite them into that? Why don't we invite the church into that? Why don't we invite these people into this? Those words, the word of God, the very first words of the chapter are interesting. In the beginning was the word. It's interesting. We know that this is a, why this is the written word. Jesus was the living word. And this book, I often say this, is a hymn book. It's all about him. You just have to find Jesus in every page. If you're struggling to read through Leviticus, you just need to look for Jesus in it. That's the best way. And once I started to do that, Leviticus has never been the same. When you start to look for Jesus, when it's given you all these ceremonies and signs and you start to look for Jesus because it's all about types and shadows and pointing forward and things to come. And so in the beginning, there was a word and the most important thing that we need to know about the word is this verse in verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the word refers to Jesus Christ. And John knows what he's about to write in these 21 chapters that we're going to jump in and out of over the next eight weeks. He's going to tell the story of what Jesus Christ did, of what Jesus Christ said, and of what Jesus Christ taught. That's what John's going to do. This book is about the life and the work of the man, Christ Jesus. He's the man that John knew. John Later on in his life, way near the end of his life, he'd write a little epistle, which at the back end of your Bible, 
And there's uh, three letters, one, two, and three, John. And in the very first verse of the first letter, he, he talks about introducing us to Jesus whom he touched and heard and saw. So this isn't a ghost. This is Jesus who had flesh and blood. This isn't something that appeared and disappeared. This was a, a person who ate and drank and got tired and wept with his friends. We know that Jesus' mom actually lived with John um, I think it's John 19, 26 tells us that, that Jesus' mom actually lived with him after the crucifixion. And, and so what John's doing in these first three verses, I go back to them, what John's doing in those three verses, he's trying to tell us what it took him three years to find out. He's trying to tell us in three verses what it took him over three years to figure out. He's saying, this is the word. This is the word. Jesus is the word. And when we get that into our minds, we begin to realize that John is really uh, making us clarify in our hearts that this is, the, this is the eternal majesty and the deity, and this is the person who is the creator writes, he is none other than Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is I'm going to try and give you three simple truths, two now, and one I'm going to do in our encounter night tonight, and I'm going to keep it um, the, for last, all right? So hope you can come back tonight because I do feel as we build this around our worship tonight, and I know Dixie and Laura are in worship tonight, and as we build this around our worship, I just think that God wants to do something in this tonight. So to understand what John is saying here, we need to honor these truths. We need to honor these three truths. While there is unity in the Godhead, there is obvious honor to the Father. The Garden of Gethsemane teaches that when Jesus cries to the Father and he says, Father, if there's any other way help me, bring it now, sort it out. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He's saying, God, I'm going to set my course by you. Even though I'd love to divert this and I'd love that you could do it another way, I'm going to set my course by you. That's a great lesson right there. You probably heard the story of the ship, the, 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 the warship that was on a path across the sea and it, on its radar, it picked up a vessel coming towards it. And the, the captain of the ship goes on to the, 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 the radio, and he, he calls through and he says, um, this is uh, Captain so-and-so from the ship, and we're, we notice that you are on direct collision course of our ship. Can you please alter your course? The guy comes back and he says, sorry, that, unfortunately, we can't do that. You need to alter your course. Captain goes back and says, no, 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 we're a warship. We're on a mission you need to alter your course. Guy goes back and says, no, 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 sorry, can't do. You need to alter your course. And so the guy thinks he'd pull rank. And he goes, I am an admiral in the Royal Navy, and I command you now to alter your course. The guy comes back and says, I'm the keeper of a lighthouse. You need to alter your course. And so the moral of the story is that the lighthouse doesn't alter for the ship. The ship has to alter for the lighthouse. And so when it comes to the truth of the absolute supremacy of the Father, this book does not alter to your life. This book does not alter to the course of your life. Your life must alter to the course of this book. This is set. This is an established law and divine principles that never change. And so you can like it or not like it, but you can't get it to shift around your life. You have to set your life to it. And so there's something about that. And so when you, when you come to John 17, he said, Father, let them be in us 
as I am in you and you're in me. The language, like, it's just full of saturation. It's like whenever I went to junior high school many years ago, I used to do metal work with Mr. Morrow. And one of my prized things that I made was a poker. I remember making a poker. And we would put it into the forge, and he would teach us how to put the round handle on the end. And then we did this, this great thing. He, he taught us how to twist the... Somebody remember doing it? No? And we, we, we put a twist in the middle of the poker. And what we would do is we would put the poker into the forge. And, of course, you'd push the bellows, and the forge would go, and the poker would, would go white hot. And you'd take the poker out of the fire and you realized as soon as you took the poker out of the fire that no longer was the poker in the fire, but the fire was in the poker. Now, if you washed your breakfast dish this morning after you ate your cereal and you put it into a dish of water, just so you maybe get this, the water was in the dish, but the dish was in the water. So the poker's in the fire and the fire's in the poker, the water's in the dish and the dish is in the water. Jesus said, Father, I'm in you, you're in me. And it would be good if all of these people would be in us. It's, 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 it's this idea of, and, and here's the thing, I am in the Father, the Father's in me. If you get into him, listen, if you get into him, he'll get into you. If you get into him, he will get into you. He will renew you. He will restore you. He will sanctify you. He will take everything that's not like him and purify it and out of the saturation of you and him and him and you you'll begin to change from glory to glory it's a process and you change from glory to glory to glory now i'm going to i'm going to uh our second service is smaller than our first service so i hope you can bear with me in this all right because i'm going to enlist the manual choir this morning all right going to ask you to sing with me, okay? Now, don't make me look like a fool. I'm look like a fool anyway. So don't leave me hanging up here, all right? And all I want to do, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I want you to sing, uh, all right? A-H. Can't be any simpler than that, all right? Now, don't, don't leave me hanging, all right? So let, let's try this. Let's see how it goes, all right? Let's see how good you are. And I'll compare with the 930, even though we're lower in numbers, We'll, be, we'll, we'll see how good you do. All right, so on the count of three, ah, right. One, two, three. Oh, that was brutal. Um, um, you, you, know, you, know why, you know why, you know why it's not wonderful? You know why it doesn't sound wonderful? Because you're all tuning to yourself. Everybody's tuning to yourself. And here's the thing, here's the thing. When you tune to yourself, it doesn't sound like oneness. When you just tune to yourself, it doesn't sound like togetherness. When you sing to yourself, you don't sound like unity because you just sound like you. And God didn't call you to, to sound like you. God called you to sound like him. Now, Lucy's going to come, all right? Because we need to figure out how to tune ourselves and our lives to, to him. And, 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 and we've all got different notes and we've all got different tones. But we're going to do it again, and least Lucy's going to say, Lizzie, Lucy, sorry, Lucy, I'm just getting excited. Lucy's going to, going to give us a note this time, all right? So give us, a, give us a key there, will you? Okay, now, so we've got a key now, and Lucy's going to lead us in this, so we follow her lead, all right? So on the count of three, let's try it again. One, two, three. Now, did that sound better or what? 
I, I thought this up in my head, and I thought, this could, this could be a total train crash. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's working so far. Now, I have another wee bit, all right? What about, what about I do choir leader, and this time, this time at the count of three, we'll carry that ah through and do the first verse of Amazing Grace. How about that? Think you could do that with me? Okay, on the count of three, going to go on that note. One, two, three. Come on, you're doing great. Thanks, Lucy. Did that sound good? Give yourself a applause. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's unity. And the world is affected by unity. You can see the, you can see the difference. Now, it's just a simple little illustration, but you can see the difference of tuning to self and tuning to a key. And God has given us a key. He's given us the lighthouse. He's given us the thing that we must alter our lives to. And as we begin to alter our lives to this, as we begin to make sure the things that we're doing align with this, all of a sudden our, our footsteps start to align and unity comes into the body. And that's why Jesus said, by this shall all men know. When you're singing to the key of him, not sounding like yourself, but actually sounding like him, something beautiful comes together. The second point that I want to talk about for a moment or two is the absolute glory and splendor of uh, the sun. You can see what happens when we put all our voices into the one bowl. <laughs> you can see when, 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 we, when we allow ourselves, even allow our voices to get into God's mixing bowl, something begins to happen. Now, John brings out the supremacy of the Father, but he also brings out the absolute glory and splendor of the sun. This is what he says. Now, I took this photo a couple of weeks ago. I was in this valley, and I took this. This is called the Valley of Doves. And this road is the road from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It's about 35 miles from Nazareth to, to Galilee, sorry, not to Jerusalem. And this brings you down almost into Capernaum, where Jesus would have lived. And um, it's the most incredible. They call it the Valley of Doves now because it's just all filled with doves. Doves live in the valley. And, and so... Um, one day, I've told you this before, Jesus, who lived in Nazareth, would have, would have cleaned up the, the, history tells us, the Bible doesn't tell us, but history tells us that Jesus' dad died somewhere in his probably teenage years. And um, I often wonder when he raised Lazarus from the dead, did his mom wonder why he didn't do that with his dad? But that's for another time, all right? because he only ever done the things that the Father told him to do, you see. All right? So it's important you understand that. So here he is, and he's, he, he parks his brush for the last time. He cleans up the, the little workshop where he's worked, where he's taken over from his dad's business. He's the eldest of the family. He would have been the one responsible. And in some shape or form, he's had a conversation with his mom by now, I imagine. And he parks the brush for the last time in the corner. He goes in and he gives his mom a kiss in the cheek. And he heads down this road, never to go back to the workshop. And he heads down this little valley 
of 35 miles that would have took them in around two and a half days, maybe, two and a half, maybe even up in three days in that sort of 40 degrees heat. And, um, and when he arrives at Jordan, John cries this out. John looks at him and he says, Behold, here's the one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one we've been waiting on. This is the one. And the glory and splendor of God are all the good stuff. And when Jesus shows up, when Jesus comes into town, now he's baptized. Everywhere he turns up, his glory and splendor start to leak out. When, when 5,000 people gather on a shore and they can't feed them and they come with a boy's lunch, his glory and his splendor leak out. When Lazarus is dead, his glory and splendor leaks out. Whenever Jarius' daughter lies dead, his glory and splendor leak out. Whenever the, the woman touches the hem of his garment in Mark 5, his glory and his splendor leak out. This is, and to a dying thief, to you and to me, his glory and splendor leak out. We get, we are privileged to this. We are privileged not only to the supremacy of the Father, but we get privileged to the glory and splendor of the Son. This is ours for free. The church, we're missing this sometimes. And so in, here's another photo. I took this photo. I took this from Megiddo. Now, in the fort of Megiddo, it, this, is the, this is the valley of Jezreel. And this is where the last battle, this is where the battle, the end all battles is going to be fought. This is where the battle of Armageddon is going to take place, Revelation 16. You can read about it in Zechariah 14. You can read about it in Daniel 2. You can read about it in Daniel 9. You can read about it in Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39. Any of those chapters will tell you about this story. Now, here's the most beautiful thing about this. This was one of my moments in the Holy Land, all right? This was one of my, one of my cherished moments. I stood at the little photo point there, and I took that photo. That little hill right smack in the middle of you, in the middle is Mount Tabor. The one to the right is Mount Gilboa, where Saul and Jonathan um, died in battle. To the left, you can't see it. To the left, I couldn't get in the photo, is Mount Carmel. All right? Um, so all, all of these mountains are all of history. You could stand at that point. Dixie was there. You could stand at that point, and you could see all of history. Now, you can't make it out, but just to the left of Mount Tabor, you can see a, like a, a little like village town, that's Nazareth. <laughs> and that blew me away. I stood at the, at, the, at the fort of Megiddo and I could see all of history. I could see, I could see the Bible in a plane. I could see it all there. Lenny was there. It's the most amazing thing. And you can see, and Jesus decides to live in a little town overlooking the whole thing. Jesus, who knew the end from the beginning, could live in a place where he could grow up as a boy and he could look and see where it all began. He could look and see all the stories of the Old Testament and he could look and see the place where it's all going to end. And he chose to live overlooking that valley. Now, is that cool or is that cool? And this idea of this God, this God who, who, who the expression of his power, this Jesus who grew up in this place decides to live in a place where 
all the story, all the stuff of the Bible goes into the mixing bowl of God and we begin to see this story unfold in a little land that's 400 miles long by 100 miles wide and we begin to see it's all in the mixing bowl of God. God's working it all out to plan. God's working it. And if you think your life's a mess, you need to get, make sure that you're not outside God's mixing bowl. And when we put our lives into God's mixing bowl, if you're reading John 17, you've got just to turn over. You've got to just do this. You've just got to go one page, one page, and you're into mockery and betrayal and denial and scourging and whipping and death and the sin of the world being poured upon a spotless, sinless Savior. Do you ever realize that the difficulties of life are sometimes the things that God brings? I, I said in the first service, Debbie and Amy, my two daughters, were in the first service. Their mom both loved eating and loved making pavlova. And I used to watch her make the pavlova. What she would do was she would crack, she would, you get the whites of eggs. I, I said raw eggs, and I was corrected afterwards by my daughters. You get the six, six whites of eggs. Like, who wants to eat the white of an egg? And she cracked those, and she used to do it with the eggshell, keep the yolk, and then put the, the, the white of the egg in. And then I, I Googled it, so I wouldn't get it wrong. She put 250-somethings of castor sugar. It's not 250 ton. No, 250 grams of castor sugar. And then one, one tablespoon of white wine vinegar. Yuck. Um, and one tablespoon full of corn flour. Imagine, imagine trying to eat that in a stone. Give me a drink of water. And then one tablespoon of vanilla extract, whatever that is, I haven't a clue. But it sounds awful. And, and, and all, none of those things, none of those things on their own would make anything of any value. But when they were mixed together, I would watch my kids lick the remnant of that bowl until they'd lick the very shine off the bowl. I would watch them with a spoon like their tongue could go everywhere around that spoon because, you see, when even, even, even the ingredients that weren't nice, when they were mixed together, they made something of value. And, and, and what you need to understand is God is working out the plan of your life. And some of you in this room need to give it to him. Some of you in this room, self-included, sometimes we're just trying to figure it all out ourselves. But you see, when you give him your grief, when you give him your loss, when you give him your discouragement, when you give him your wayward child, when you give him all of those things and he puts it in and he begins to mix it. He, here, here's, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, all things work together for good. And he can work them together for good. And he can actually bring them to a point where he can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and that his goodness endures forever. Some of you need to get mixing. Some of you need to go home to your teenager's room and go, when they're not looking, obviously. Some of you maybe need to set the alarm and waking up in the middle of the night over your spouse go. Some of you in your business need to allow yourself into the mixing bowl of God. And as it begins to mix, once you begin to give it a mix. I know loads of people who have never got over their past. 
because they've never allowed it into the mixing bowl of God. They can't get over their past. They can't get over their past grief. They can't get over their past oppression. They can't get it because they've, they've never given it to God. And you see, when you give it to God, He begins to make it. He begins to churn it. And He begins to take even those difficult ingredients like He did when, when, when He took my sin and my shame and my guilt and he took every sexual crime and every sexual sin that ever has been committed. He took every murder and he put it into a bowl and he mixed it and he bore for three long hours in the cross of Calvary. He bore the sin of the world and then he gave the bowl and he said to his father, it's finished. The cake's made. It's finished. Never needed to be repeated. Never needed to be mixed again. And every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, and future, absolutely paid for. I, I, I just think today, we're going to finish it here because our time's gone. My last point is this one that we're going to look at tonight, the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit. And I have four points in that that I knew I just couldn't do this morning, but I'm going to finish it tonight. I'm going to talk to you tonight about this, just for a minute or two, before we get settled into really worshiping God together and allowing the Holy Spirit, because here's the thing. The absolute supremacy of the Father, the absolute glory and splendor of the Son, and the absolute necessity of the Holy Spirit in your life are all available to each and every one of you. They're free. We, we get this. We get access to this. The veil has been, when, when Jesus offered the bowl to his father and said, it's finished, the veil in the temple, 60 foot high in Herod's new temple, the width of a man's hand, probably four to five inches wide, 60 foot high, ripped from the top to the bottom, rent in two. And we are allowed to go in, and God was allowed to come out. And God now dwelt with man God could now come and dwell amongst us and move amongst us. How was he going to do that? He said, Jesus said, Father, he said to the disciples one day, it's better that I go because if I go, then the Holy Spirit can come. And what's better than God here in flesh is God here in all flesh. And so while Jesus was here in flesh as a human, when he left, the Holy Spirit came. And imagine, imagine, we're going to look at this tonight. I'll give you a little taster of it. We're going to look at how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they, they got a bunch of 120 people into an upper room and they began to mix and they began to do some stuff. And as they mixed, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit began to talk to one another and began to say, wow, they, they're mixing some cake down there. They're mixing some cake down there. And then, then one day the father said to the Holy Spirit, hey, you better, get your, you better get your hat and your coat. You better tie your laces because it looks like they're about ready. And one day when it was all picked, out he came. But that's for tonight. Um, we're not going to sing. Our time's gone. Um, yeah, okay. Let's just bow our heads and pray. The prayer ministry guys are at the back. If you feel God has really spoken to you this morning, if you feel maybe something needs put into that mixing bowl, I was challenged by this message um, even er in the early hours of this morning. I felt God begin to challenge me. I, 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 felt, I felt God start to put some of you that are sitting in this room on my heart 
and, um, and I felt broken for, for many of the situations. Some of the situations I don't even know, but I felt God give me some words of knowledge that I'm not going to share at this moment in time, but felt there's something about this mixing bowl that as we put it in and we just allow God to mold and form our life and we, we start to live by the word, we start to not make sure this, this is the lighthouse, this doesn't shift and we begin to mold and move our lives around. So Father, seal your word to us this morning. Pray God as we take this into our psyche, as we take this into our souls, God as we realize the supremacy of the Father that we have full access to him, that we have the absolute glory and splendor of Jesus Christ, your Son, at our very disposal. And with the Holy Spirit moving in our lives 24-7, 365 days a year, all at our fingertips. God, we cry unto you this morning, Abba, Father. So seal your word to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy your lunch. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.